Hi, welcome back to Excited, episode 198. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fuleman? I'm good. I just moved. Everyone was like, where is the podcast? Because, you know, a certain number of things have happened in Leafland. And there was no podcast episode on Sunday, even though we were scheduled for one. I moved apartments. And if you've ever had to move from one Toronto high-rise to another... Uh, you know, it's super easy. Yeah. I can't emphasize how smooth and effortless it was for me, especially considering there was a snowstorm on Saturday that snowed in the U-Haul lot from which I was running a van. So anyway... Oh, I, did, I didn't even consider the snowstorm. It was a really bad one, I heard. It was bad. And like U-Haul is an outdoor lot, or it was right. in, in this case. And so literally their vehicles were snowed in. So me and one of the guys there are shoveling out the van I'm trying to rent morning of. Um... So please pity me and hold me in your heart at this time. Um, moving is also a bit of an ongoing process. I saw the last few games mostly through clips and through highlights and through reading recaps. I did not watch them live. We are an honest podcast here. I'm not going to bullshit you about my eye test. So when I talk about what the players have done, that's where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. Now Arvind also has been doing stuff, but he has seen more of the games than I have. Yeah, but so I, I was in... Um... I was in San Francisco visiting uh, some family. My, my brother and his, and his wife live there. They have a, a beautiful young daughter. She's a few months old now. Is helping take care of her. So when I was watching the games, I was also like handling a baby. And anyone who's um, raised a child can tell you it's very easy and they don't distract you. Yes. And so o that's Only fine. rivaled by moving in terms of how easy things are. <laughs> I can't right, emphasize so. enough how much these tasks are not a problem or in any way difficult. No, so yes. yeah, <laughs> our eye tests may be a little bit um, wonky. That said, we weren't going to get too carried away with a two or three game sample anyway. Yeah. Um, whatever it shows, you know, if it's good, it might be new energy. If it's rough, there is an adjustment period. I certainly, like, even if, you know, Luke Shen and Jake McCabe actively scored on their own net three or four times, I would still be like, well, they're adjusting. Soon they'll figure mm -hmm. out that it goes in the other net. <laughs> so, yeah. But we have uh, trades to talk about because the Leafs have made several in the lead-up to the trade deadline. Yes. Um, I, first, we should just cross off some injury news. Yes. Uh, so, Ryan O'Reilly got hit in the hand with um, a puck that was fired, I think, by Austin Matthews, actually, um, against Vancouver. O'Reilly was in obvious pain. This happened near the end of the second period. He, I believe, did not play in the third. Uh, he has a broken finger. He is on LTIR. Sheldon Keefe has said that he will be back for the playoffs, which is in six weeks. Um, frankly, he, he'd probably play through it if the playoffs started tomorrow. It, that doesn't mean he would be absolutely himself. Like it's, I assume, hard to stick handle with a broken finger. I haven't tried because I'm a wimp and don't break my fingers. And number two, I am a wimp. And if I did break my fingers, I would not do anything with my hands for a few years. No, I would take a vacation um, for a very yeah. long time. Yeah, and so, you know... I don't know enough about medicine to speak to the severity of that. We know people have played through fractures. Yeah. Nazem Kadri did last year, didn't he? Or like he he had he had a, a some broken bone in his hand that he like missed ten games for, basically. Like NHL players are freaks and on thirty five thousand painkillers. Yeah, and that leads into another discussion about ethics and uh, medical practices that we aren't going to have right now. So we're just going to note it's. Too bad. You'd obviously love to have O'Reilly back 
for an adjustment period and for the many good things that he brings. Um, also, any analysis of the overall Leafs deadline, Ryan O'Reilly is the big fish. Yeah. He's the big acquisition. That's still true because the Leafs are playoff oriented, as these other trades will show. So mm-hmm. we aren't going to talk I, about him again too much, but he's yeah. there. Well, yeah. I, it's also, I think O'Reilly's been pretty good on the Leafs. Not like blow your socks off amazing, but like pretty good. I'm, I've yeah. been happy with, with what I've seen of him. Uh, I think the diligence and like the, I don't know, it, this sounds like such a cliche, but like the doing the little things. Mm ishness of him has been basically as advertised there's been some misconnections on offense which you know you can chalk up to chemistry you could chalk up if you're pessimistic to decline or a poor fit but I, I think it's more the former than the latter and I you know I'm still very optimistic about him Achari has been really really good clearly overqualified for the fourth line mm-hmm. um, so yeah no basically a little preview of this. This is not going to be the most happy podcast you've ever, you've ever listened to. <laughs> but it's worth noting that the biggest trade by far was the O'Reilly-Achari um, trade. And that we have we gave high grades to, and I don't think we would rescind that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, I feel like I have to add this as sort of um, a warning before we go into this. Anyone who's listened to us in any of the previous 197 episodes knows that we are not the cheerleading faction, and yet there are still people who get mad when you say anything critical about a new acquisition because they want to go through a honeymoon phase, I guess, where everything is going to be sweetness and light and it's all going to work out. We do not do that. We don't have it in us. Like, that part of us is not applicable. So... We won't be able to offer that for you. It's going to be more of a uh, of a mixed evaluation. But yeah, we do want to say the biggest trade, which we've already talked about, was real good. Um, then there were some other trades after that. Shall we? Yes, let's let's go ahead. Okay, so uh, I am indebted to Cap Friendly for laying this out so neatly. Uh, in the first big trade that we're going to talk about, the biggest of the remaining ones... The Chicago Blackhawks got from Toronto uh, Joey Anderson, who is sort of a fourth liner-ish tweener kind of player, Pavel Gogolev, who was a fringe prospect, a 2025 first-round pick from Toronto, uh, its top 10 protected, and a 2026 second-round pick from Toronto. For that, the Leafs got defender Jake McCabe at 50% retention, so he's signed for this year and two more after at $2 million against the salary cap. Um, fourth line forward Sam Lafferty, although he's playing above the fourth line at the moment. Uh, he makes $1.15 million and that again next year. And the Leafs got two fifth round picks from Chicago in 2024 and 2025. Um, that's a big trade. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about Jake McCabe in our preview discussion about players that the Leafs might acquire. And we were a bit guarded, I would say, about him. And I'm now guarded that we have him. Not because he's not a good player. Because he is. Mm-hmm. I think he's he's clearly, like, at least a decent defensive defenseman. The contract that he's now on is eminently reasonable. Yeah. It, it, the know. contract, it's hard for him to, you know, not outperform that, frankly. Yeah, like, he has to be better than Justin Hall, I guess. Yeah. And I think he can do it. 
So he, he's yeah. he's a good player. Yeah. He's a good player. Um, I think our hesitance about him, in large part, <laughs> we'll get to this in due time, but uh, because it'll come up with our next trade. But our hesitance about him, I think, in large part, was due to like, well, what does that mean for Rasmus Sandin if we get him? <laughs> And it turned we, out it we, met something for Rasmus it, Yeah, Sandin. it turns out we found out, but, you know, we'll get to that in due time. Let's, let's, let's talk a bit about, about McCabe. Yeah, okay. So, uh, we mentioned this in greater detail last episode, so I won't rehash it too much. But just if you missed last episode, um, for any of uh, many reasonable reasons, uh, he was sort of the leading defensive defender on Chicago who are awful. And so it makes him a little hard to evaluate. He played a lot of time with Seth Jones, who is their 1D, um, such as it is. At least nominally. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because somebody has to be. Um, He had good defensive results for a player on Chicago. Like, he's often first or second in metrics on Chicago, which means that his numbers are still bad in any absolute sense because the team is trash. And he was not at all getting sheltered. He was playing tough minutes because, again, somebody's got to do it. Um, He has some track record of doing this before. He's played, unfortunately, for bad teams his whole career. He was with Buffalo through their decade of darkness. Um, Not all of it, but that was uh, his career there. And now Chicago in their post-dynasty decline. So his playoff games with the Leafs will be the first he's ever had in the NHL. Um, it can be a little tough to evaluate a player in those kind of extreme situations where they're having a good impact, where they have relatively good um, expected goals and goals against, where they look like real deal defenders, but we're grading on kind of a weird curve because everyone around them is dog shit. Mm-hmm. And conversely, you know, having bad teammates impacts some defensemen a lot more than others. And I think McCabe, by virtue of his style is probably better suited to dealing with that sort of situation than a lot of other people. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on my but from the scouting reports I've read, and this lines up with what I've seen from the few games that he's played in Toronto, he is physically very gifted. He's quite fast. He's big and strong. He uses that, and he plays aggressively. Not aggressive in the rah-rah, I'm going to beat you up way, but aggressive in that he trusts his, he trusts his instincts, he trusts his reads, he trusts his speed. And I think that can be pretty helpful and pretty useful for the Leafs to stay in the offensive zone. I think like that's, we talk so often about how the Leafs use, you know, the offensive zone as a defensive tool mm-hmm. and to keep the puck there. And a big part of that is their forecheck and the pressure that they want to put on teams when they, when they try to leave their zone. Absolutely. So I think, yeah, McCabe's a solid player. I think I was pretty, I was, I was like a little you know, middle of the road on it, on this acquisition at first, in large part due to what it meant, what I thought it would mean for Sandine. Uh, that has come to pass in some ways. But McCabe himself is a solid, solid player. I think, um, you know, the, the ideal situation is that he becomes a Brody Light. Mm. And it's worth mentioning that I think one of our bigger misses on this part of us collectively is that we were not as high on TJ Brody prior to him getting acquired to the Leafs as other people were. Mm. And as it turns out, would be, was justified by mm. how he's played in Toronto. In Toronto, Brody's been an obvious top four guy and honestly, probably a lower end uh, 
top defenseman, top pair of defensemen in the league. I, I would buy that he's been one of the 60 best defensemen in the league. Yeah, I would say uh, so. Since he's been there. Certainly in the 30 to 60 bracket, I think you can make a real case. And he's worked well with a variety of partners, which mm-hmm. actually is relevant to McCabe. People were talking about McCabe Brody as a shutdown pairing. And I don't hate that by any means. Um, I just want to note, Brody has good results with almost everybody he plays with, um, including Justin Hall at times in the past. And that doesn't mean that McCabe is bad. It just means that if we're using Brody with McCabe, we're not using Brody with Morgan Riley. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of my reluctance about this move, my caution about this move, is how it affects the other moving parts on the roster. One, it meant Rasmus Sandin is gone. Two, if we are moving Brody down there and to have a shutdown pairing, you either have to run Riley Hall, which I which doesn't really work and which I suspect is on the way out. Yeah, I, I don't think Riley Hall has ever... Maybe I'm like just reading into the goal results there, but they, I've never felt good with them on the ice. And I, I've never felt that they're controlling play when they're on the ice either. No, and you know... It just feels like one of those matches that just straight up does not work for whatever reason. And I wouldn't want to see a whole lot more of it. Your other options are Timothy Liljegren, which I would be certainly open to trying, but Liljegren is a younger defenseman. Riley um, Liljegren does have really phenomenal results, but I like that's one. it's in low minutes and the usage there is probably very skewed in a way that like you know you have to be very careful reading into. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of this episode is going to be, okay, who does the coach really trust, and what is he going to do? And, you know, we saw last season Ilya Lyabushkin paired with Morgan Riley for an extended period. Um, Luke Shen is now there and has some potential to play the Lyabushkin role. Um, Yeah. That's getting ahead of ourselves, but I'm just noting that there are knock-on effects to the roster. Um, Still, though, McCabe, like, just McCabe in the abstract, it's very hard to be anything but pleased with this deal because he looks like he's at least a decent fourth defenseman i think pleased is the right word for it like i'm not like oh my god this is i think maybe another part of the the my initial like oh that's it gut reaction was like the muzzin trade Mm -hmm. which is you know ostensibly the guy mccabe is coming in to replace in some ways was just such a coup right and if we were duplicating the muzzin trade like, the player we got when we got Jake Muzzin, where it's like, he can form a quality shutdown pairing with pretty much anybody. Um, and then you have that in hard minutes, and then you're playing Riley Brody the rest of the time. I think you're really happy with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we're just confronting the fact that that's less certain with McCabe. And again, McCabe doesn't have to be as good as Jake Muzzin to be worth it. Yes. Um, so we got to take him on his own merits. Yeah, I, sure. I do want to emphasize, when I say he, he's defensive, I don't mean that he's a pylon type, because he's not. Yes, and he, that's he, he, yeah, not at all. Yeah. His mobility, I think, is good. Yeah, like, he's the kind of guy who can keep up. He's not going to do anything too complicated. And actually, this might be a good time to uh, get the quote from our Buffalo Sabres correspondent, Sabres Kevin, because he was somewhat familiar with McCabe from his time in Buffalo. He says, he was a good soldier here, a meat and potatoes guy. Won't make flashy plays, but simple ones. He helped out some bad players get decent results. Uh, Big concerns would be that his knee injury was horrific. He tore like every ligament and broke his kneecap or something all at once. Also, he's been in very low event systems for a while. I know he can contribute positively in those minutes, but if the volume and the heat is up, I don't know if he can play with and against that much skill. 
If he's added to be a reliable guy for low event minutes, he's fine. Um, you can certainly see how that situation might arise. The Leafs have a lower event third line right now, typically, built around David Kampf. And McCabe himself has a tendency to like move the team towards lower event, more in the sense of like limiting opposing team shots than neutering his own offense. But his offensive impact is nothing is nothing amazing. Mm-hmm. Again, there are similarities between him and Brody. If you look at like RIPM and stuff, McCabe and Brody have looked sort of similar at times over the last three years. Um, there's some very low minute McCabe years in that stretch due to the aforementioned knee injury. And as I alluded to earlier, Brody himself was not without warts when we acquired him. He had a couple of poor years uh, immediately before uh, the, the, the trade that brought him to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, yeah, the acquisition that brought him to Toronto. Um, and I think, uh, in general, McCabe is unlikely to have the impact that Brody has. Like, you look at their pre-Toronto careers, and Brody's is clearly better mm-hmm. um, by some distance. But again, he doesn't need to have that impact. If he can be Brody light, then I think we're pretty happy with it. And I can see his physical skills kind of really being a good compliment, and especially at, you know, at $2 million. So, you know, that side of it is... You know, pretty pretty good, honestly. Uh, I, I'm I'm ha- we're a better team with Jake McCabe than we would be otherwise. Yeah, and uh, I think the question is just how far can you go relying on him, and to what extent? Who do you have to play him with? And this is going to be a theme. One other thing, McCabe is perceived as more of a playoff type player, particularly than Rasmus Sandin. And it's worth pointing out, as you said. This is entirely supposition. He has not played in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're sort of guessing here. Um, Tampa Bay, it has to be said, made a similar acquisition with Nick Paul. And they, they viewed him as a playoff type player. And I I think I might have even done it on air here. But I kind of made fun of him. I said, how can he be? He's never played in the NHL playoffs. But um, he turned out to be pretty good in the playoffs. Um, whatever you think of the contract, they've signed him two cents. And so, you know, if you believe in this particularly element being important in the playoffs, more so, um, then McCabe has added value because the Leafs are planning for the playoffs. And so I think that all adds up. I do not have a problem with this. It just pains me what it cost in terms of bumping Sandine out of the lineup. And we'll talk about that in his trade section. Um, But we should talk a bit about Sam Lafferty. Yes. Um, yeah, I think he's, like, fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, like, super impressed uh, when looking at his, like, stat profile. Like, he, he actually has, like, a fair few goals this year. Mm-hmm. Quite a few of them are shorthanded. They almost all seem to be on breakaways. He is very fast. I mean, he's a fun guy to root for. I, I like him on the team. Like, when he's on the ice, it's like, ooh, cool, zoom, zoom, player go fast. That's neat. <laughs> Um, it's like, cool, that's nice. Like, it's, it's nice to have a, a vertical threat. Um, but, you know, he doesn't have a ton of puck skills. He's kind of a straight line, crash and bang guy. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot of alluding to things that we're going to discuss in the future. So I'll do it once more here. I mean, I, I think to some extent the Leafs <laughs> replaced a speedster that they grew sick of with a speedster that hasn't annoyed them yet. Yeah. 
in, in Sam Lafferty. Now, that's a little unfair. There's an advantage to Lafferty. Pierre Engvall, who's the other guy I'm referring to, of course, mm-hmm. um, has a contract that expires this summer. He was probably going to get a contract that the Leafs couldn't or wouldn't want to match. Uh, Sam Lafferty has another year at like $1.15 million. Again, at that salary, it's, you kind of just have to be a playable, clear NHL player to be worth it, and he probably will be. So that's completely fine. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not like super, super thrilled with him, uh, but he, he's okay. I'm just not really convinced he's better than Pierre Engvall this season. And yeah, yeah people can disagree about that because Pierre Engvall, again, has the rep of, quote-unquote, not a playoff player. Somewhat justifiably, he has zero, or zero goals in 17 playoff games. Um, and the third line last year, Kampf, Mikheyev, Engvall, did not perform incredibly well in the playoffs. Uh, granted, we are still relying on, you know, Kampf. <laughs> yeah, so, like, he, he's, he's still involved. Mikheyev got a big contract. It didn't seem to impact uh, that. So, I don't know. Like, it's, it, it's very hard to read, and at least I find it very hard to make these judgments about who is or is not a playoff player based on these samples because if we said if we did this after Columbus we would have said Austin Matthews isn't a playoff player we would have said William Nylander isn't a playoff player right at times people have said Mitch Marner isn't a playoff player if they're right about that then there's then nothing else matters here a fun little thing to think about is after they got swept by Columbus who on the Tampa Bay Lightning would not be perceived as a playoff player for that moment it's just something that crosses my mind, and they've obviously proved otherwise since. Yeah, and, and really, they proved otherwise though. before as well, right? Yeah. Like, they, they made the cup final before. They made mm-hmm. um, the Eastern Conference final before. But so, they were like, absolutely tagged as chokers. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, now I'm not saying there's nothing in this, you know. If everyone in hockey, not everyone, if a lot of people in hockey believe that this is, is significant, that these types of players are who you win with in the playoffs then maybe the wisdom of crowds is on to something. Absolutely. Um, And also, the Leafs are up against the cap. And Lafferty being half as expensive as Pierre Engvall means something. It facilitates Mm -hmm. other moves that they've made. So, you know, fair enough. Um, I do have to note, last summer, you may remember we talked about Matt Murray, and I said, look, he was actually decent in 20 games last year, but he's not reliably healthy, and he's twice as expensive as people in his peer group among goalies, except for the fact he has two rings way back when. Well, that money that you don't have because you're pay- you're playing it to you're paying it to Matt Murray. This is where that shows up is that you get squeezed. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to say it, but like this is where you start seeing yourself forced to make these kind of moves. Now, maybe you say it's fine. I don't care. I think Lafferty's as good as Pierre Engvall, and there's a case to be made, even if I don't buy it. But I'm just saying this is where you see the crunch. Right. So each of the next two moves. Uh have some have some potential cat motivation uh the mm-hmm. first is the rasmus sandine trade which we've lampshaded enough time so we can actually just um get to it now i suppose yeah so rasmus sandine was traded to the washington capitals for a defender eric gustafson and boston's first round pick in this upcoming draft uh boston sent that pick to washington for dimitri orlov side note boston's defense is fucking stupid it's actually preposterous how good their defense group is. Like, I, I've talked about, like, I don't think the Bruins are unbeatable by any means. And I stand by that. However, <laughs> 
adding Orlov to that defense group is year. pretty crazy. Yeah, they've lost 13 games all year. It's absurd. Yeah. They're a juggernaut. You know, and like, um, look, the most likely spot for that first round pick to be is 32nd. That's just yeah. the reality. <laughs> and so, you know, that's something that we have to live with. Um, again, once you got McCabe, the writing was on the wall for Sandine because you count the names ahead of him and there were at least six. Yeah. And, you know... Well, and in fact, um, the McCabe trade, we were going through these in the order in which these trades broke. Mm. Uh, the McCabe trade meant that the Leafs would not be cap compliant without a further move. Right, yeah. And Matt Murray was coming back off yes. long-term injured reserve, which was applying a certain amount of pressure. And of course, he has now returned. Um, yeah, so like the, the yeah. Leafs' options in some sense were like they could have cap-dumped um, Hall or Kerfoot. Uh, or, you know, Engvall or something like that, or they could have made, made trades that were not complete cap dumps, but made them cheaper. One of the trades was actually this Sandine for Gustafson trade, because Sandine is making $1.4 this year, Eric Gustafson is making 800000 Right. Um, so you can say, like, look, this is what Sandine returns you, and also, if you don't think Rasmus Sandine is a top-four player, or likely to be in the future, the time to sell him is now. Yes, this deal pains ago, me, but, but yeah, yeah. I understand why Toronto made it, even though I don't agree with it. I think Rasmus Sandin has more potential than Toronto does, mm -hmm. and I'm aware that the people who have the literal most information about Rasmus Sandin of any front office are the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, we, and you we, know, Kyle Dubas drafted him, so he presumably has no bias against him. It's yeah. just a matter of they don't seem to have thought that he was going to be a guy that they could rely on in a serious way in a playoff series. Mm -hmm. We talk about this all the time when player, when a high draft pick, now Sandy wasn't a super high draft pick, but you know, touted young players are um, traded early in their careers. That the act of trading them, the act of shopping them, saying they're available, lowers the price on them in some ways. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm an opposing team and, you know, Fulman the Fulham and Jokers trade, you know, Buzz Flibbit to me, and they just invested a lot of, you know, a lot of draft equity in Buzz Flibbit. I'm like, well, you just got this guy, and now mm -hmm. you're soured on him? Like, something's happened here, right? I'm not paying you full freight for Buzz Flibbit. Mm -hmm. oh, I mean, no the saying from poker is you don't play your hand, you play the person across from you. Well, that's true in most negotiations, and it applies here. Yes. Uh, and so Sandine was on the outs. I assume this was what they were able to get for him. I liked the end of this trade... For Washington, I gotta tell yeah, you, it's, I it's think an this is good play. for them. It's an upside play. Yeah, uh, I think it's very smart for Washington. If if Sandine is, you know, a, ends up being a second pairing guy, then you just kind of won a pretty big asset there. If he doesn't, then it's not really a huge deal. Yeah, because you've still acquired a cost controlled defenseman who is absolutely an elite third pairing guy. Yeah, exactly. And next year he makes one point four. That's less than Jake McCabe. After that, he's an RFA. You know, like, you can project into the future where you'll have this player. And the Leafs are absolutely present-oriented. They're trying to win the Cup this season. God help me. And that's absolutely what they should be thinking. I just am a bit leery because I believe Sandine is helping now and would help next year. Um, however, you get it. They decided McCabe was more their type of guy. They got him. Okay. Um... There was a wrinkle to this trade 
that I found a little bit odd, which is Gustafson. As per Jonas Siegel, Dubas said the Leafs could have netted the second draft pick in the swap that sent Sandy to Washington on top of the first rounder. They opted for more depth in Gustafson, intrigued especially with his abilities on the power play. I'm sorry, I don't think that that's a good idea. So, like, I've been, like, guarded because I like Sandine, but I get where they're coming from on the rest of this. I think they should have just taken the pick rather than Gustafson. Well, do we know what the pick was? Uh, no, I don't believe so. But I, 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 I kind of like, don't care. I'm going to be honest. Like, <laughs> okay, Gustafson is primarily a power play specialist. Now, he's played regular minutes that were not totally sheltered in Washington and been okay. But count, mm-hmm. like... Look at the He's been good the- this year, actually, but like yeah. this has been a departure. For, like his Aaron Gustafson, for a large portion of his career, has been the poster child of the Isle of you know sheltered third pairing D, who gets his shit kicked in when he plays above that. Yeah, and like anyone who's done direct scouting of him. As reported, like, hey, he's kind of high risk, high reward. Be prepared for that. And as a result, this is a guy who, for Chicago, had sixty points one year. Um. Now, again, that says a lot about who he was passing to, including a younger Patrick Kane. But he's bounced around because he's perceived as that kind of player. And more to the point, if you list the names on the Leafs defense group, you have at least six ahead of Eric Gustafson. And probably seven. And it's like, at that point, I don't really know why you're pursuing that, especially considering you have... Guys in the seven-eight bracket like Connor Timmins or Jordy Ben. Yeah, this people take the like, oh, we need defense depth and injury replacements. I think too far. You look at what Cup teams have done recently. The average is seven or eight defensemen that they play in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then also like, you know, at a certain point, you don't get that much value out of upgrading Jordy Ben to Eric Gustafson. Yeah. The difference between the players is not that big. The expected amount of time that they will play is not that big. At a certain point, you've just wasted resources that could have gone elsewhere because it's not like we have nowhere else to address, right? This, I mean, you could take, I think a way to think about this to see why this is true is like, take this argument to infinity, mm-hmm. right? Like, what if we just had, you know, should we keep spending assets to get infinite uh, seventh defensemen who are all like roughly like maybe slightly worse than each other as we go down mm-hmm. right well no because you know we're not going to play all of them mm-hmm. and I think the Leafs have tipped too far on the other side of that scale here where I think there's a reason everyone thought okay well another move has to happen here right we have like nine guys who could plausibly play in, in the playoffs and it's like I don't know. P- people treat it as like some sort of five alarm disaster if like Connor Timmons plays in a playoff game Mm-hmm. And it's like, I wouldn't be thrilled about it. Yeah, he's an obvious weak spot. You know who else was considered a weak spot when they played in the playoffs for an injured defenseman? Nate Schmidt, when the Leafs played Washington. Mm. Yeah, and you know, you see how that worked out. I, 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 yeah. can't, I can't tell you how often the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast. I think he was replacing an injured Brooks Orpik. Mm. Um, but how much they're like, oh, they're going to miss Brooks Orpik, and Nate Schmidt came in and was good. And like, Not that Nate Schmidt, you know, kill McCarr or anything. But Nate Schmidt was like an average NHL defenseman for some time. Yeah, and like, this is what I'm looking at here. It's not like Eric Gustafson is like, but maybe he's Kale McCart. It's like he has point totals. He can play your second or even your first power play unit. But <laughs> he, I he's don't... Actually, he actually has the most points of any defender on the Leafs. Yeah, I don't care. 
about power play points for defensemen very much at all. I like, and to be clear, he's good at that job. I just don't view that job as that important. Your power play is driven by your forwards. I am convinced, unless it's like Kale McCarr, which he's not. So anyway, I'm harping on this for more than it is important. I recognize that. If there's a feeling of, is that all there is about this? It's partly that it really seemed like the Leafs were leading up to another move. I thought they were going to flip Gustafson on as part of a trade for one more forward. And then they just said, no, screw it. We'll keep them. And now they have nine defensemen sitting on the roster. And you can do that. But like, I don't think that there's a huge point in that. Anyway. Well, especially I mean, in light of the trade that happened after this, like, we're really yeah. light at forward, and that has become immediately stressed because Ryan O'Reilly is injured. Yeah, and to be clear, obviously that's not anyone's fault. You know, O'Reilly getting hit in the hand with a puck is a thing that just can happen in hockey. It's just bad luck. But yeah, it is hard not to think that maybe there was another move that was supposed to come here. Like, anyway, we'll get there, but... I really thought they had one more in the chamber and I was waiting to see it and then nothing happened. However, they still had more that we're going to talk about in this episode. So I guess I should say Godspeed to Rasmus Sandin. Uh, I thought you were better than the Leafs did. I guess we'll see in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierre Engvall for a third. Um, yeah, so the Leafs were squeezed salary-wise. A lot of people were knifing Engvall on the way out the door. Because they said, you know, he's 6'5", he doesn't hit, he has a low compete level. Sheldon Keefe has alluded to Engvall's compete level a lot. More than any other player, I would say. He's taken backhand slaps at him. And he did it again after after he left by talking about how we acquired guys who were, like, really competitive. And it was not too hard to see by implication some of the guys who left maybe were not 100 on the adrenaline meter every time. Right. Well, and, and like, I don't know, people can criticize Sandine, but no one's ever criticized his compete. Like, he. Yeah, he's a gamer. Yeah. yeah. He gets his ass kicked in fights regularly. And, yeah, like, just, just eats shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the beautiful loser. He's willing to go out there and just absolutely get rocked. But, uh, yeah, Pierre Engvall. And I think he. I can see why people got frustrated with him because he's big and he's fast. And you think he ought to be so much better than he is. Um, and he doesn't use his size for more than having a great reach, which is still something. Mm-hmm. I, well, and I think, uh, was it Jay Fresh who pointed out that, like, Engvall is actually, by the numbers, a very good forechecker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's not a good forechecker in the way that Noel Achari is a good forechecker. Right. You know, Noel Achari is a good forechecker because he comes in and he hits you and he separates you from the puck and he will dig, like, a you know, a mole rat on cocaine to get the puck. <laughs> and Pierre Engwall will lope in and poke at the puck, and if he gets it, then that's great. And if he doesn't, then, okay, well, time to lope around and turn turn back the other way and not really, you know, try to separate the guy from this body. But he actually, when he does that stupid little poke, gets the puck away a decent amount of the time because he is 6'5 and fast. Yeah, and those are real assets. Now, if you want to make the not-a-playoff player argument, you say, okay... When you're going up against the Tampa Bay Lightning and they have a whole lot of guys that they're very keen on and paid a billion draft picks for or whatever, and um, they're, they have guys who are going to be tough on the puck, who are going to be good at controlling it, the Pierre Engvall method is not going to get the puck off them at the same rate that you would hope for in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Would be the case. 
And um, it's plausible. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it could be true. Um, yeah. I, again, the not a playoff player argument is often a bad argument to make. Mm-hmm. That does not mean it never has any validity. Um, so, but nonetheless, I think it's hard to argue that Pierre Engvall was like a useless player. Yeah. You, you just look at his number. I think too many stats point to Pierre Engvall as a genuinely very good play driver in bottom six roles that I, I simply do not believe that he has zero value. Yeah, and you know, people talk about, okay, he just skates the puck from the defensive zone to the offensive zone, and he takes a low percentage shot. Um, well, the puck still gets from the defensive zone to the offensive zone when you do that, which is a good thing. Sometimes that shot goes in. Sometimes that shot leads to extended possession. I'm not saying he's a world beater by any means. I'm just saying I think a team could use that kind of player on its third line. And I think certainly in a world without cap, you'd be happy to keep him. Yeah, I, I think Amos just he's a perfect, he's like a good third liner. Yeah. Right? That's, he is like a slightly worse version of Mikheyev. Mm-hmm. Right, like I think Mikheyev has a higher revving motor. Yeah, that that's I think the biggest difference, and that that is a you know that's a, a Engvall with a higher revving motor could be a top six, top six player. Right, as Mikheyev uh, has now proven himself to be to a large extent, I'd say with Vancouver, like he's had a decent year. Yeah, um, before it got shut down. Um, yeah, like you know, it is what it is. I do find it fascinating, by the way, that he was acquired by the New York Islanders, who are maybe the poster child organization for doing better in the playoffs than stats people expected mm-hmm. um you know how much of that is barry trotz or was barry trotz i don't know but well and, i mean lou he did i don't i'm fairly sure did not draft angball um no uh, angball was 2014 yes yeah but you know he was in the organization when angball was there so he presumably has you know a fair bit of familiarity with pierre angball as a player yeah, and, you know, when Lou knows and likes you, Lou tends to bring you around. He has a, a long-standing reputation of acquiring his guys who he likes. You know, he took Matt Martin back, for example, as one of his first moves when he started up in Long Island. Um, yeah, anyway, like, it is what it is. This was primarily necessitated by other moves that pressed the Leafs against the cap. Um, they had to cut salary somewhere. They chose to cut it here. Um, I get it. I think we might miss him. If you believe that he's a playoff liability, then we'll obviously miss him less than I expect. But I find it kind of weird how quick people are willing to just trust that this guy who's consistently been pretty good on the third line and who has obvious skills is useless. Anyway. Yeah, just basically all the... Um, all-in-one metrics for play driving view Engvall as a very, very strong play driver. Now, granted, um, if you look at him by you know goals above replacement and like fully encompassing stats that take everything into account, he shows up as nothing special. We're not claiming he's anything special. We're claiming he is like a solid third liner. Yeah. Right. And he's gotten a little bit uh, unlucky this year. Maybe I shouldn't call it unlucky. His expected impacts have outpaced his actual impacts that's not something that has always happened throughout his career but you know with third and fourth liners it does happen more often than Mm -hmm. uh, than with first and second liners because the whole point of first and second liners is that they're up there because they can outshoot expected goals and help their teammates outshoot expected goals right Right. um so yeah yeah i guess i just want to like again we it's been what 
30 minutes or so since we made made this point. So then we'll make it again. The most important thing the Leafs did was get Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. That was a big thing. The second most important thing that they did was get Jake McCabe. That was also a really good thing. Or at least at least a good thing. Mm-hmm. These other moves are, you know, varying levels of understandable, perhaps disappointing, perhaps unideal, but are smaller potatoes. Yeah. And you can see clearly how they are linked mm-hmm. to the other moves. Like, Sandin was bumped primarily by the number of bodies that were now ahead of him on the defense group. Engvall was bumped by the amount of cap that was rising right. up. So, like, you can see how they came to be pushed out the door. Um, but, yeah, anyway, if Engvall was not a playoff-type player, then I guess we'll we'll see the, the results in the springtime. One other thing I want to mention on the cap, um, we could have possibly waived Zach Aston-Reese. Mm-hmm. If we made the Sandine trade, uh, we could have waived Zach Aston-Reese and not have traded Pierre Engvall. That would have let us be cap compliant. I'm not sure if it would have let us have enough room to sign Matt Nyes. Mm. Um, in light of the Leafs not acquiring any sort of scoring winger, uh, a lot of that expectation has now been hopefully burdened onto the young, the young shoulders of Matt Nyes, who will now be expected to come in, you know, after with three regular season games and hopefully help the Leafs in the postseason. We've said this before. This is not a hot take or anything. Neither of us have already watched Matt Nyes, but just like outside of, you know, very rare players, most guys do not come from NCAA and immediately make an impact at the highest level of hockey. No, they do not. And I, I can get as far as saying, okay, of all the people we were realistically going to be able to acquire with the assets we had left in the circumstances we're in, Matt Nyes might kind of be our best hope to do so cheaply on like a six-figure contract. You know, like if we're trying to get a guy who might have offensive impact, I can sort of see that. But expectations for any guy coming out of the NCAA should be so modest when he's trying to jump right in, and they should be more along the lines of 13th forward than 9th forward. Right. I mean, especially, or unless that player is someone who was like a very highly touted pick, like Cole Caulfield. Yeah. And also, Cole Caulfield was better in the NCAA than Matt Nice has been. Yeah, and Caulfield still had like his speed bumps en route to becoming a, frankly, elite NHL goal scorer. Like, I don't like saying it, but credit words too. He's really good. Um and, you know, none of this is a knock on Nyes, who is a good prospect. I'm just saying, expecting him to have a major impact in the playoffs in the year of our Lord 2023 seems to me a little bit premature. I wouldn't be counting on much from that quarter. Yeah, I I, I mean, there's also the fact that the he plays for, uh, I believe, University of Minnesota. They are a very, very good team. They are expected to get very far in the tournament if they make it all the way to the finals then I think that he will only have three regular season games and then it's the playoffs. Yeah. Um, if he signs immediately, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you know, the better Minnesota does, in some ways the better Nyes does, the worse it sets him up in some ways for success this season. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, I think primarily we should be thinking of Matt Nyes as, like, you know, have a, have a good summer, you know, work your ass off, come into training camp and, and take a job. Yeah. Um, and absolutely nothing wrong with that, but... In terms of the short term, which is where we are right now, I'm, I'm going to be cautious about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that that is the state of our forward group now. Um, the last trade does not impact the forward group directly. Uh, and I think you can say it's a little bit dicey. You still have a little bit less scoring than you might like. 
um, especially on on that third line. So the, the the Leafs really do not have much depth scoring at all. Engvall was probably the Leafs' best depth scorer. Actually, O'Reilly was, but Engvall yeah, was probably the next guy. He's counted as depth, right? But yeah, yeah. like. You know, and Lafferty has um, nearly as many goals as Engvall this year. But again, I feel like like Lafferty has never done that before. Last year, Engvall had 15 goals. Even though this year they're similar in P60 at 5v5, I just find myself thinking I trust Engvall to finish a little bit more. Well, and, and I mean, Lafferty, again, I, I alluded to this off the top. So much of his offense is like idiosyncratic odd man rushes. Mm. That's true of Engvall to some degree as well, but... Sure. Engvall also has like a fair number of goals off of sustained zone time. Yeah. Fair number of just like, not a fair number, like one to two snipes on a power play. Like that's just not in Lafferty's game at all. Yeah, Lafferty, I actually looked, like he, he's been sort of like this guy before. Like it's not as if he's off a huge shooting heater. He's a little bit hot. But he's basically the same guy he was before, except he's getting more ice time now. And so this year is the first time he's gotten any power play time whatsoever. And he got about half an hour of it in Chicago and he didn't do anything. Zero points. But, um, y- you know, I just, I feel like maybe ideally there would have been one more move to get a guy who could chip in a little bit in that tier. And I guess right. it just and wasn't doable. I guess in fairness, we should also say that like Dubas can't just go to the second nine winger store and pick one up. Like someone has to trade it. Yeah. And, right. you know, guys who can score are not likely to be undervalued because points get noticed. Even even the dumbest GM knows who's putting the puck in the net. So, mm-hmm. um, Then there was this move. Uh, a third rounder for Luke Shen. And uh, that was something. We were thinking, okay, they already have enough defensemen. Uh, maybe too many in terms of Gustafson and uh, the rest of them. And then they added Luke Shen. So, you know, Luke Shen is obviously well-remembered in Toronto. He had that famous rookie year where we thought he was going to be the next Chris Pronger. Um, Except no one's quite as much of a son of a bitch as Chris Pronger was, so maybe that's an impossible standard. But uh, anyway, the, the game went in another direction. And Luke Shen sort of carved out his career as a lower physical defenseman. Um... He probably hung on longer than a lot of us might have thought, especially in the aftermath of that Luke Shen for James Van Riemsdyk trade, which the Leafs unequivocally won um, by a huge margin. But, you know, he's carved out a good career for himself. He wound up in Tampa Bay, as everyone knows, and won a couple of cups with them. Um, And then he spent some time in Vancouver, uh, where he partnered with Quinn Hughes. Um, and they formed a respectable pairing. And so now Luke Shen has come to Toronto. And I think a lot of people feel sentimentally towards him because he was sort of the prince that was promised and now he's come home and it would have a nice narrative uh, closing off if he were to be part of the team that finally did something. I don't care about any of that shit. But, you know, some people do. So... So people got mad at me for like saying that. I'm like, Sandy and Engvall were drafted by Toronto. What like? <laughs> I I asked people about this, and it, so Seldo had a good answer where it's like, as you said, it's like the, the prince that was promised type of thing. Yeah. Uh, he was, I think, Burke's first draft pick. Burke was supposed to be the savior who came in after uh, JFJ. Yeah. Um, 
and like it start it was sort of the kind of the age of the blogosphere mm. and like twitter was just becoming a thing like a new way to watch hockey and new fans i can i can see that i mean i yeah. have no particular attachment to luke chen yeah i i, <laughs> I have nothing against him he seems like a nice guy but seems at the like same time i'm person, like yeah a lot of these seem like nice guys anyway okay whatever so yeah. let's evaluate him as the player that he is. <laughs> yeah, so to be honest, this is where I more or less lose the caveats. I don't like this deal at all. Yeah, and okay, so let's be clear. I don't want to blow this out of proportion for yeah. the transaction price. A third round pick for a it's guy who's like a sixth defenseman is not a big deal. Like, even if it, even if this turns out to be kind of a dud trade, it's it pales in significance next to the other things we've talked about. Right, like, again, I'm you know, broken record here, the two most important things the Leafs <laughs> did were good and very good, okay? Right. Like, and we spent a lot more time talking about the things that we don't like, um, but that's because these were the more recent things. Yeah. Right? We, we, we so, did a whole thing on Ryan O'Reilly before yeah. and then again after we got him, so you can't say we didn't cover it. But yeah, so Luke Shen is, you know, physical, finishes his checks, willing to drop the gloves, good in the room. NHL uh, all-time leader in hits. Is he really? I actually hadn't heard that fact. Well, it's, it's because they, they only got recorded, like, at, you know, in, two, in 2004 or whatever. I don't know, like 2007. Like, yeah. it, it's the same way Giordano is the all-time leader in blocked shots. Yeah, and that one I knew about. Hey, well, yeah. the thing is, Giordano's like a fringe Hall of Fame defenseman. So, like, yeah. him being there, you're sort of like, yeah, you know, like, he's legit. Um, the thing that worries me is how high are we going to play this guy? Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned earlier... There is some precedent for the Leafs playing a not that talented but physical defenseman with Morgan Riley. And because Morgan Riley is Morgan Riley, that means you're playing him top four in a lot of minutes. Yes, but it is worth noting that Shen, when he was played with Hughes in Vancouver, it's like this structure where they play a fair number of shifts together, Mm -hmm. but Shen's ice time is always like fourth, fifth, or sixth. Because... They just find uh, shifts for Hughes in like the offensive zone and in other situations, maybe after after icings, after TV timeouts, where he is not with Shen. Yeah. Right. So it's not like Luke Shen's going to be getting twenty two minutes a night or anything like that, but you still are playing him with Morgan Riley or Quinn Hughes in Vancouver's case mm-hmm. for a large chunk of time, a lot of which will be spent against good players. And that's like a little worrisome. Shen actually has kind of randomly a couple pretty decent years. Um, his last one in Tampa and his first one in Vancouver, where he seemed to have some notable impact on suppressing shot attempts against. Mm-hmm. Do I think that he suddenly figured out the system and learned how to play good defense at age 30 and 31? No, not really. Um, this season, his impacts are back to what they usually are, which is like not good, kind of like fringe NHL, maybe even lower than fringe NHL, but in the NHL because he does a lot of other stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps coaches and teams overvalue a little bit. So, you know, all that being said, I, I'm, I'm just not really convinced he's better than... I'm not convinced he's better than any of the Leafs defensemen, frankly. No, me neither. And I think this is an objection that probably occurred to several people listening to that. They say, okay, Tampa Bay thought he was good, and look how far they got in the playoffs. Yes, but 
Luke Shen was on those teams, but he was not playing a prominent role on those teams. First of all, in neither of his playoff runs with Tampa did Luke Shen play in half the games. Like, a lot of them he was just sitting. And in the games that he did play, he was averaging a very small amount of time on ice. Like, he was 7th and ninth in time on ice per game in the playoffs among Tampa Bay defensemen in those two runs. And again, that's fine. Like, if he is supposed to be sort of like a 7th defenseman who's good in the room, it's hard to object to that. It's just... It feels well, I, a little... I still, I, don't, I still don't think it's worth a third if he's that, but, like, yeah. whatever. He's not, he's not actively making us worse. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Is like, there's a role where it's like, okay, you paid a little extra for the magical leadership dust. I think... And I'm trying to recognize this in myself. I got a little bit annoyed at this because so many people, I guess, reacted to this trade as if like, okay, this is the missing piece and this has solved it. And I don't see that at all. And for the you last... so many moves like this. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. But... Yeah, no, it's okay. But like, we've done this before, you were going to say. It's like, yeah, like Wayne Simmons was going to teach them how to win. And Nick Foligno and Zach Bogosian. And all this sort of stuff. And it doesn't preclude him being a perfectly fine sixth defenseman. But I don't think that that is what's going to make or break this team. And I think if we fall too much in love with those qualities, we could talk ourselves into playing Luke Shen with Riley rather than Timothy Lilligren, which I think is the correct move, or TJ Brody. And I'm a little leery of that. Like, I do not want us to fall so in love with all of the many good things about him as a person that we play Luke Shen in the top four. I agree. I mean, my big concern, I think my first order concern is, are we just going to stop playing Timothy Lilligren? And I think the answer to that is probably yes. Uh, Like, uh, I really hope not. Well, and, and again, like, look, people can disagree on this. I... Based on what I've seen of Lilligren, based on the stats, based on who he's been up against, it has, he has not been a shelter to Sandine by virtue of the right side of the least being weaker than the left side. Mm-hmm. Lilligren, by hockey biz, has faced average quality uh, forwards. He's kicked their ass. Yeah, He's like... done really, really well with a variety of partners. His defensive numbers are good. He occasionally looks really, really dumb on a goal against. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. Right? Katya was talking, had an article where she said, you know, not exactly this, but the idea was that Sandine and Lilligren have massive differentials between their, their average performance and their worst performances. Mm-hmm. And I can take that as a fact as, yeah, it's probably true compared to someone like Shen or someone like Hall. Um, but, you know, by definition, then they must also have performances that greatly exceed their mean. And coaches and GMs and basically anyone whose livelihood relies on the performance of these players are going to be risk-averse. They're going to prefer the steady person. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make it the best play. We went over, like, we fought this battle in the Jake Gardner years. Mm-hmm. We fought this battle with many other defensemen before who make high-profile mistakes but do 35 small things that you don't notice as well to help drive goal differential for the team. This year, Timothy Lilligren has driven goal differential for this team. Yeah. And he's done it in actual minutes. He's not, you know, he's not getting played like, you know, like peak Nick Lidstrom here. Right? Yeah, but he doesn't uh, no, have no, to be. Like, this thing yeah, is, no one, if no we're one's playing McCabe and Brody as a shutdown pairing, it's not like you're throwing Lilligren to the Wolves. You're playing him serious minutes in a playoff series. Yes, if you do that. 
Um, but I think you should. Yeah, like at, I don't know. At, at some point, I think... Again, this is my opinion on these players. I think the Leafs have lost out on some value by not trusting players when they could have been ready. Mm. And again, I could be wrong on that. Maybe they weren't ready. The Leafs, again, have a lot more information than me about that. But for a team that has been so starved of uh, value contracts, of people playing above their pay grade in the lineup, they have never really taken the chance to actually try and figure that out. And instead, they've paid a lot of assets, when you look at it now, for various varying levels of stopgap. Some of them have worked well. Giordano was essentially that. I think that's worked out well. It's hard mm-hmm. to really criticize. Lyubushkin, maybe less so. Bogosian was fine for what he was, but did you leave any value on the table by you know not promoting someone else early? And I'm, I'm not saying for sure that they have, but this is a consistent pattern where the Leafs don't trust these guys. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we have enough evidence to say that they don't do They don't. And I think, I don't think it's a situation where Keith doesn't and Dubas does. I think they all are, you know, are mostly in agreement that, yeah, we need guys that we more firmly trust in the playoffs. They could be right about it, but, you know, let, let's call a spade a spade. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not playing these guys for a reason. Yeah, well, and, and like, how much of the eventual decision to trade Rasmus Sandin was made after that series against the Montreal Canadiens? I'm not saying mm-hmm. consciously they were like, okay, we're, at some point we're getting rid of this guy, but I'm sure it's been in the back of their heads ever since. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe that's it. And I think this is the thing, is... Losing in the first round, including a couple of series where you should have done better, um, and then a couple of series where maybe you deserved a better fate. I think they have a case they deserved to to beat uh, Tampa Bay last year. You know, maybe that messes with your head. Maybe you look harder for something that isn't really there. Because, and I know, you know, there was a Kevin Weeks tweet about how... um, you know, being close to Tampa is a meaningless narrative. Okay, look, they were one goal short of that team. And if you have an explanation for that series, I want to know why it addresses that they were one goal short, as well as the fact that they lost. Because they can't have been that far behind. Um, well, and, and I mean, you can take the opposite argument, right? Of like, yeah. well, if the Leafs got blown out 5 nothing in every game and got swept we would absolutely be saying that that has information about the yeah. team. So why, why does a different sequence of games not have information about the team? Yeah, like it matters that you won more or were closer. It doesn't matter in terms of overturning the result. But no. if you're trying to get information for the future, I think you take that into account. I'm not sure this team has a huge psychological missing piece. My attitude is still basically most of these guys are highly competitive because they wouldn't have made it this far if they weren't. And I have to tell you, warts and all, Pierre Engvall was a seventh-round pick in the Allsvenskan, and he made it to the NHL. Maybe he's not everyone's beau ideal of, like, a third-line player. He is a hard-fucking-working guy in some respect of his life because he's got to be. I'm Like, I'm not saying these things don't matter, but I'm saying it's really easy 
to blow them out of proportion when you're fishing around for answers for why do we have such a long summer vacation. And I do wonder a little bit if that's the thread we see through here, because if you want to draw a line through all of these moves, including the ones that we've been positive about, Ryan O'Reilly, Jake McCabe, uh, Luke Shen in, that's all tough, gritty, conventional winning. And Sandin and Engvall out is guys we don't feel like we can trust. The Leafs have also just really focused on defense and not just, I don't mean defense the position group, I mean defense the skill. Mm-hmm. Basically everyone the Leafs have acquired has you know, a credible argument to be an above average defensive player. Even, even Luke Shen. Yeah. Right? The, uh, uh, I mean, I don't think he is, but at least he has been at some point. He's perceived to be in some ways. And, and his value issue, isn't coming from his offense. So. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, like the issue with Luke Shen really is like offense dies on his stick. And, you know, people say that, oh, you know, he and Riley balance each other out. But the thing, the thing about hockey is that like everyone sort of needs to be able to do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Right? We talk about complementary skill sets and it matters for sure. But, you know... We, when we talk about a passer and a shooter, well, the shooter isn't always going to be able to shoot and the passer isn't always going to be able to pass. Yeah, you and know? you have to be at least a respectable shot threat to make your passing more successful. Yeah, being complete matters a lot in hockey. There's too much chaos for you to you know, perfectly enforce the division of labor to be as ideal as you would like. Yeah, but it's like to a greater extent, I think, than other sports even because other sports are more isolative. But... Uh... Yeah. Anyway, like, again, I don't want to rain too hard on Luke Shen. Um, You know, seems like a good guy. And maybe there is something there that he'll bring. It's just I've been offered this before with previous acquisitions, and it didn't turn out to mean that much, it seems like. Right. And it's, again, it's not like they were even bad. Like, I don't think Labushkin was bad. No. Just like, he's a sixth defenseman, and he's good yeah, at that. Just wasn't, wasn't yeah. transformative. Zach Bogosian wasn't bad. He's just. Six defensemen. Yeah. <laughs> and again, like, I mean, there's a bigger question there of if you do think there's something missing, does it help you that much to acquire, you know, tertiary players who have these elements if your primary players don't have them? And I'm not saying that that's the issue, but if it is, I don't know if this solves it. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I just, there's a thread running through these moves that I find a little bit hard to believe in. Yeah. Uh, Sabres Kevin had a tweet where he basically described this as the Leafs raising their floor and lowering their ceiling. Mm. And in some ways, that's, that's accurate. Um, I also think they've not really like appreciably raised their mean. Uh, maybe that's harsh, because like, McCabe does genuinely help us quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it, I, my takeaways are this. I think we're kind of roughly the same level of regular season team as we were before the McCabe trade. The McCabe aspect of it helps. Sandine to Gustafson is like about even. I think Engvall to Lafferty is a slight downgrade. And then I'm kind of expecting us to like just not play Liljegren much. Mm. And that hurts us a fair bit. Um, yeah. If we were to play Liljegren regularly and uh, not play Shen, then I would say we have gotten mod- like, you know, slightly better. Yeah. Worth noting, um, we haven't paid a huge, huge amount here for this, like, you know, relatively stagnant um, trade deadline post-O'Reilly-Achari deal. Uh, We're paying out the difference in our 2025 first and Boston's 2023 first. Um, An additional second rounder, 
and Sandine's future value. That's basically that's basically the difference, and we also get back um, Achari's or not Achari's, um, Lafferty's future value. So there, yeah. there's there's yeah. that. So so anyways, this is not disaster. The only way this can be viewed as like disastrous is through the lens of like an opportunity cost. But yeah. the Leafs are not like suddenly bad. It, unhelpfully, the Leafs have played a few bad games on their Western Conference road trip. Yeah. Um, the trade deadline did not make the Leafs much worse, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, nor should it. I, again, like, I think on net, it's good. Uh, and, you know, I was happy with the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Like, I, I'll make my peace with the McCabe thing. I just, um, I guess I wanted a little bit more in terms of scoring if we were going to keep making moves. And instead, we did some things that I find a little bit harder to parse. On net, it's a good deadline. I like Kyle Dubas. Even if I'm not like an out-and-out -out cheerleader for him, I would sign him to an extension. Including yeah, I, I, I still would. Like, yeah. I mean, I, it's... I, again, I, I don't know who else out there is like so much better, really. Yeah. Like, that, that's a lot of what it boils down to. Like, Dubas is, at bare minimum, competent. Yeah, and like, that's a very that's a very negative view of him. It's just just competent. Like he's done a good job, I think. Uh, and we mentioned O'Reilly. Like getting McCabe is a pretty good value as well. And also, it, we like, talked about like the pressure on him to do stuff for this season, which he's certainly done. But McCabe is also a dividend for his successor if he has one. If he gets fired this spring, the guy coming after him, as is Lafferty. Yeah, and you know so. He certainly hasn't gone, you know, full mad, even though he's been aggressive. You know, lots to recommend it. I guess, um, you know, on balance, I think I'm mostly okay with some of this stuff. It's just, again, some of it, there's a thread I can't follow. And also some of it, like, people are really determined to assert that all of this is going to fix everything. I'm not so convinced. Like, I, I thought they were a coin flip with Tampa, uh, a week ago or two, and that's what I think now. I mean, if you ask me to pick this, the Tampa series right now, I would say Tampa in seven. Yeah. Probably. Right. I don't uh, know. I, I, man, I really don't want to, but I don't know. We'll see where we are when we get that. The problem I, that we're going to come down to is they have fucking Andre Vasilevsky, and yeah. I don't see the way out of that. No. Yeah. But, and like Tampa has had their struggles of their own, right? Like they They've had, been playing uh, shit lately. Yeah, they had a game where uh, Kucherov, Stamkos, and Point, I believe, were all benched in the entire third period. They followed that up by getting absolutely waxed by the Hurricanes the next night. Like yeah. things aren't super, super rosy there either. Um, maybe the team was protesting the Tanner Geno uh, <laughs> acquisition. Yeah, that was a lot. Um, you know, actually, although I will have to say, even though Tampa is slumping, there was a Travis Yost article today saying, like, you know, because the Ottawa Senators and the Buffalo Sabres are surging a little bit, um, that maybe the door is open to the, the Atlantic. And I'm like, okay, Tampa is still 11 points up on those teams. Like, Tampa Bay is a very, very, very strong favorite to finish in the 2-3 bracket, where they will face the Toronto Maple Leafs in all likelihood. So, like... Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, if, what, there's, like, 20 games left for each team, if you're 11 points up, if you, so, if, like, Tampa acquires, you know, 20 more points, right, mm. like, they're, like, 500 or so, then doesn't, don't the teams behind them need to play at, like, a 750 points percentage to catch up? 
Is like my quick math correct there? Well, it's going to be they better need, than mine. Need, I majored in English, man. Because they need because then the team's behind them. If they're down by eleven and then Tampa gains twenty points, they'd be down thirty-one points. So they need to gain thirty-one points out of the remaining forty, which is oh, like yeah. three out of four. That's yeah, a lot well, of points. That's like, yeah, like you you got to do really well. And the Sens actually looked like invigorated. They yeah. made, you, they made the Chikrin trade, which I think was good for them. Yeah. Oh, that was so, a great trade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the. Yeah, but like playing 750 hockey is like really hard, unless you're the Bruins, in which case it's your worst month of the year. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Bruins are just stupid at this point. But yeah, I like the Sens are kind of like look next year the Sens will be a team you have to take seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this year I I won't be totally stunned if they limp in, but then Boston's probably gonna clobber them. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's our. Uh, our deadline summary. Do you anything else you want to cover on that in the front? No, I think I think that's just about it. Um, so yeah, thank you for for bearing with us during during this delay. Uh, hopefully, you know the final product was was enjoyable for you guys. You can catch all of my Bulletin stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can just follow follow us on Twitter at rbaatbulletin. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon.